Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is episode number 11. Well, I hope you've had a great weekend and thanks for joining. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for waking us to a brand new day. We thank you for your mercy and love to us. We thank you for giving us grace for our needs. And we pray now that you will bless us in the study of your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been looking at the life of Jacob, and today I wanted to consider the choice that Esau, his brother, made when it came to marriage, and why it was such a bad choice. I'm going to read the story for you from Genesis 26, 34 and 35. It says here, And Esau was forty years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Bashemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. Now, why were Esau's wives a cause of grief to Isaac and Rebekah? Well, to fill you in on the background, the Hittites of the Bible were an ancient people descended from Heth, who came from the line of Ham, one of Noah's three sons. Jacob's grandfather Abraham, who had no land of his own, purchased from the sons of Heth, a cave and its surrounding field as a burial plot for himself and his family. Some scholars have concluded that the Hittite tribes in Canaan were related to the ancient people that had settled in Anatolia, that's the um, Asian portion of Turkey. Eventually, the people of that region became a powerful empire which lasted for around 400 years. By conquest or assimilation, they subdued the indigenous people of the Asian Peninsula, and as they did, they incorporated the gods of those they conquered into their own mythology. So prevalent was this practice that archaeologists call them the kingdom of a thousand gods. So it's no wonder Esau's choice of a wife brought grief to his parents. Remember, his father Isaac was the promised son of Abraham. Abraham's line was to keep the knowledge of God in the world. We're told in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 3 that God made himself known to Abraham as El Shaddai, God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And God called Abraham, my friend. Isaiah 41 verse 8 tells us that. And Abraham was the friend of God, according to James 2.23. That's important to know. You see, friends trust each other and are there for each other. And God will always be there for Abraham because as his friend, Abraham obeyed his voice, kept his charge, his commandments, his statutes and his laws. That's found in Genesis 26 verse 5. That's the covenant promise God made to Abraham and his descendants. I will be their God and they shall be my people. But Esau, Isaac's firstborn, now demonstrated that he had no regard for such a relationship. You'll remember from episode 1 that Abraham was so concerned for the spiritual welfare of his own son, Isaac, the first son of the promise, that he made sure that Isaac married a godly woman. Rebekah was chosen from among Abraham's own relations. These were worshippers of El Shaddai, the one who alone is worthy of worship. Unfortunately, when Esau chose a wife for himself, Isaac did not have much say in the matter. Living such an unrestrained life in the pursuit of reckless pleasure, Esau followed his heart. But as I shared in episode 4, his heart was set on pleasing himself. 
He looked on outward attractions, the things seen rather than the things unseen. And the things he could see right now were two evidently attractive women there in the hills of the Hittites. There was only one problem. As daughters of the Hittites, they worshipped false gods. Esau's choice to marry them was then a violation of one of the conditions of the covenant. God's chosen people were not to marry those who did not love and worship him. His parents were grief-stricken. Sadly, many children today bring the same kind of grief to their own parents. When it comes to choosing a life partner, God seems to take last place. Just Google 10 things to look for in a life partner to get an idea. Unless you're looking at a Christian source, God is rarely if ever mentioned and never at the top of anyone's list. But you know, what a lot of people fail to see is the only way to have a successful marriage is to consult the one who gave us marriage, God. You see, he loves us and wants us to be happy. And he gave marriage to us to complete our happiness. But to experience that happiness, two people need to commit to each other to the exclusion of all others for life. To love and cherish each other, to be a support in good times and bad, no matter what the outcome, and to remain faithful to each other for as long as they both shall live, that kind of commitment can only be made if God is reigning within each heart. In episode 10, we saw that for God to reign within your heart, you need to yield to Him. That means you choose to surrender your will in obedience to His will, rather than please yourself. When it comes to God's will in marriage, Paul outlines the principles for Christians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Let's have a read here. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness which is godliness, with unrighteousness, which is ungodliness. And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, which is an unbeliever? Now Belial means worthlessness or destruction, and it was a name given to Satan. How can someone who is trying to live a godly life consciously choose to unite in close relationship with someone who is living an ungodly life? That's really Paul's question. The answer is, you shouldn't. In fact, choosing to unite with an unbeliever in marriage is like trying to unite darkness and light. It's impossible. So too with marriage to an unbeliever. You can't marry another person and expect happiness ever after if that person has no regard for your faith or for God. If you want to give your marriage the best chance, put Jesus first. Here's a thought on this from Ellen White in her book Messages to Young People. She writes, To connect with an unbeliever is to place yourself on Satan's ground. You grieve the Spirit of God and forfeit his protection. Can you afford to have such terrible odds against you and fighting the battle for everlasting life? That's from the book Messages to Young People, page 441. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to have the odds in my favor. In Australia, where I live, one in three marriages end in divorce. The average length of those marriages is 12 years. Seriously, that's not even enough time for a child, if there are any, to become a teenager. 
I'm actually the product of one of those marriages. Mum and Dad divorced when I was four years old, and I can say from first-hand experience it wasn't a happy marriage, and it certainly wasn't a happy childhood. I really don't think people consider the impact their choices are going to have when they make the wrong choice in this regard in particular. You have no idea how far the influence of one choice can go. It's like throwing a stone in a lake, the ripples keep moving out beyond to who knows where. So be careful and be prayerful. Don't be like Esau. Don't make a decision of the heart. Make a decision of the head with a heart willing to follow God's will. And whatever you do, remember, if a person is not going to respect your principles, they won't respect you. So don't allow yourself to think you can have lasting happiness with a person who has no love for God. That's a big mistake. If you choose to follow your emotions rather than God's will, you'll be selling your birthright for a bowl of lentils. You see, contrary to popular opinion, Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. Feelings will come and go, but love never fails. Paul explained in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7 that true love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Only God can give us this kind of love. And He will if we keep our hearts yielded to Him each day. That's when we gain the blessing of the covenant relationship that Abraham enjoyed. It's a relationship summed up in these words. I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. For this reason, if you find yourself caught up in a wayward path like Esau or you're about to make a decision in marriage with someone who does not love God, God says, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 17 and 18. In choosing the two unbelieving wives, Esau, Isaac's favorite but wayward son, proved that he neither desired the covenant blessing nor dreaded the displeasure of God. Now in saying this, I'm speaking to those who are not yet married. If you're listening to this and you are married to someone who doesn't share the same faith as you, I'm not saying you should walk out of your marriage. The Apostle Paul, in dealing with some difficult marriage questions, provides some counsel on this very point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 12 to 15, he writes this, If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman with, which uh, hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. Paul is writing here to those who married before they came to the knowledge of Jesus. If that's you, then God wants you to honor the marriage covenant you made for the sake of the person you made it with and any children God blessed you with. You see, we all exert an influence on each other, particularly a husband and a wife. A believing spouse who is walking after the Spirit can and will have a positive influence on their marriage partner. 
By His grace, God wants you to walk such a life in marriage that you can be that kind of influence on your unbelieving partner. Now let me share an encouraging thought on this from another beautiful little book by Alan White. It's called Thoughts on the Mount of Blessing. And this is page 65. It says, Now, as in Christ's day, the condition of society presents a sad comment upon heaven's ideal of this sacred relation. Yet even for those who have found bitterness and disappointment, where they had hoped for companionship and joy, the gospel of Christ offers a solace. The patience and gentleness which His Spirit can impart will sweeten the bitter lot. The heart in which Christ dwells will be so filled, so satisfied with His love, that it will not be consumed with longing to attract sympathy and attention to itself. And through the surrender of the soul to God, His wisdom can accomplish what human wisdom fails to do. Did you hear that? Through the surrender of your soul to God, His wisdom can accomplish for you in your marriage what your wisdom fails to do. Through the, it goes on to say here, through the revelation of His grace, hearts that were once indifferent or estranged may be united in bonds that are firmer and more enduring than those of earth, the golden bonds of a love that will bear the test of trial. And isn't that what happens when you go through trials together? You become so stronger for it. And that's what God can do for you. So the takeaway for me today in marriage is this. Don't be like Esau. Don't grieve the hearts of your God-fearing parents with making a wrong choice in, in choosing a life partner who's going to draw you away from God because their, their, their life is caught up in the things of this world, They're in the material things like Esau. They're not following after God. They're following after the pleasures of this life. What you want is to make a choice in a partner who is putting God first in their life. That way, you can give your marriage the best chance of success. And if you have already made a choice in marriage that has ended up being the wrong choice, where you haven't found happiness, where the person has not serving God, you know, you can find happiness still. If you put God first, if you allow Jesus to come in and fill you with his love, he can give you what you need to be happy and to make your marriage what God wants it to be, a blessing to you, to your children, and to all those around you. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy to us. We thank you for this meditation this morning that reminds us of the importance to put you first in everything, particularly in regards to marriage. And I pray that if anyone, if anyone out there is struggling in this decision, that they'll, that they'll learn from this lesson this morning that you are a God, a covenant-keeping God who wants to form a relationship with each one of us, that you can guide us in all things, particularly in regard to this marriage relationship, because you want to bring happiness to us. And so I pray for those who are married or contemplating marriage, that you'll bring happiness to them as they yield their hearts to you. So let's do that this morning. This is my wish and prayer for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to the 7am Bible. This has been Paul Chapman, and I hope you, you've enjoyed the meditation this morning. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, take God with you and have a great day. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the 7am Bible. i
strength.